Hello, and welcome to Ivan's Weirdos Fathomless, a D&D podcast set in the world of Fielo. I am your Dungeon Master, Darby, and joining me, as always, are Eddie, playing Tibble, Mitch, playing Neris, Jake, playing the Fishman, Joe, playing Alton, Laura, playing Janice, Emily, playing Cerise, and Zoe, playing Loren. Let's jump into it. last left off in the aftermath of the deaths of the heads of the hydra the characters began to talk about the future the paths forward individually and collectively and lay some cards on the table towards the end of this neris and loren went aside where neris revealed that his fingers through his Arcane dabblings had begun to turn charred black. Oh, you've really done it now, you little freak. Oh, Sam, it's unbeat. The man in the moon himself would come down and call you an idiot for this. Oh, my God. Keep it down, please. <laughs> okay, look, I'm not a medic. I'm about to become one. And she like, grabs his wrist and just pulls his hand up to her face. Looks- is it like a coating or is it like literally almost like frostbite? Like it's coming from the inside out. Very similar to frostbite, very pronounced at the tips of the fingers, only on his left hand, and starting to sort of fade as they're going down to probably about the second knuckle now. (laughs) No, that's masterful, honestly. You know exactly how you become that man, don't you? I think I am starting to realise, yes. That's what you're scared of. That's why you're being so quiet. Because you think if you talk too much, we're all going to see. Everyone has seen more of me today than I would like them to in the rest of my lifetime. People seeing me is not... I don't want to see myself like this. Good answer. So what do you plan on doing about it then? It is early days, but there is so much that I need to learn, so much that I need to find, and there is no time to do it. I intend to do some amount of research to figure out how to slow this, how to prevent any more harm to myself or those around me. You really think you can research your way out of this one? Research has worked for me in the past. When I do not know something, up until very recently, I would spend time learning in a safe environment. Suddenly, I experienced the need to explore magic in a more dangerous light without practicing as much as I should and I have the result and he raises up his hand. So yes, research is the safest option. You confound me, Neris. I've never seen someone who finally got the courage to start branching out and then step back the way you have. Or that you're about to. Well, branching out is potentially killing me. Fair. But how alive have you felt while you've been doing it? That is not a question I wish to answer. Look, I think you can research until your eyes turn blue. I think you can read as many books as you want until you're cross-eyed. I think what you need to realize is that there's only so much theory for practice is the only way out. Your approach to your magic is a little different to mine. I do not intend to try to kill the people that are around me when I lose control of my magic. You think that's my intent? I... 
cannot question your intent. I'm merely exploring the options of your magical prowess. People with books like you, who do magic by writing and never practicing, are the reason I nearly lost my eye. All they do is build up hope, and then they shatter it. I think you need to find a middle ground, Neris. I think the reason that man exists is reading too much. I think if you spend enough time in your own head, you become your only friend. So I think it's also time you don't turn away those that are trying to reach out. I think if you're really smart, I'm not going to be the only person you tell about this. If you're not a coward, you know exactly who you should tell. He'll trust you more if he knows you're scared too. I'm not so sure anyone should trust me anymore. That's not a good starting point to not becoming him. You saw what I did in there. You saw who I could become. There was remorse when I killed Rue. Why? Very clearly I didn't push them away. For all I've joked about it, you have a heart. It's what you do with it. Here. And she like digs into her little thigh bag and she pulls out a pair of gloves, like full finger gloves. I buy them extra large to fit my nails. Go on. Thank you. I'm reconsidering my life of piracy, so I might as well start being kinder to the unfortunate, you know? Should we get the water? I'm sure they would be concerned about where we are. Oh shit, yeah, we were here for a reason. Yeah, no, water. Let's go. I think at some point Loren's gonna go find her captain, but right before she does, she is just gonna go up to Fishman. Are you gonna answer me question? And which question would that be again? What are your intentions with my captain? Your big, muscle-bound man in a miniskirt? I have a feeling that the feelings are mutual to that of your captain. To me. Oh, what? Uh, repeat that for me, please. Slower and with more words. Your captain is quite the individual, would you not say? I... There is merit in that. There is beauty in that. I have a fondness for your captain, and I believe it's quite plain to see that they have a fondness for me. Your captain, I believe, does not become attached. That's and an I can say the same for myself. I, um, well, I guess I just wasn't expecting you to be so forthright. It's a topic that is not discussed openly with me, I've noticed. I believe I've been quite forthcoming with my bodily language. If it's not something that people have picked up on thus far, I find it quite odd. Could you do me a favor? I... Are you off to find your captain? Yes. Could you pass on a message? Yes, please. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Meet on board of the Polaris one hour from the stroke of midnight. And then he walks out. I... Uh, Loren looks at the rest of the crew. She didn't pull Fishman aside to talk about this. They would have been maybe like a foot away from the table. D- is he? Janice leans down to Tibble. When did this happen? Leave two mysterious, attractive individuals together in a room, and they're either going to kill each other or kiss each other. Oh, you know, that's very fair. Absolutely. Those two have had private conversations on the ship several times. Well, everyone certainly got busy while I was away. Congratulations to your captain. I... And he just sort of leans back and continues sipping. Am I the only one not surprised by this? It's not that I'm surprised. I knew Cerise was flirting, and I kind of thought he was flirting. I just didn't think he'd say it so plainly to me, of all people. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> he says everything plainly. What? Uh, I need to go. My captain has a meeting. Apparently, I don't think any of you should be on the deck of the Polaris at 1am. I think you should all maybe buy headphones and stay below deck. I'll see you all around. Good night. Don't think I've seen her all flustered and shocked before like that. No, that's interesting. That was uh, not expected of Fishman, but in hindsight, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, on him for the initiative, I suppose. You know Fishman quite well? Oh, somewhat, yes. Hmm. Seems like I've missed out on a lot. An enlightening evening. Tiny. Um, Dana slides his eyes back over at Nerys. Nerys probably also Nerys, kind um, of side-eyes Nerys. Nerys is looking looks at Nerys. right ahead. I wouldn't mind a bit of a chat when the alcohol content isn't doubled my body weight. Of course. Table leaves and goes to the Polaris and goes and talks to Kara. So, I think the next thing of interest is a certain rendezvous between a captain and a fishman. So, at the appointed time, Cerise wanders on board the Polaris and looks. Are there many people around? At this hour, probably not, no. Perfect. Fishman will definitely approach. Very neutral body language-wise, you can tell that he's quite at ease. Captain Thunderbolt, you made it. Of course. Lorenz said you wanted to see me. That is a way to put it. I would never refuse you. Fishman will gesture out a hand. May I? Of course. And Cerise takes the hand. He's going to say a couple of things, but essentially what he's going to be doing is casting a spell, which is a ritual spell that takes time. So that's technically what's going on here. He'll start pacing around the outsides of the ship with Cerise in hand. A hint of mildew on a cold summer's day can be easily ignored. An insignificant thing, something easily overlooked amongst a vast, dimly lit meadow. It's not until the radiance of the sun beaming upon the valley that the dew is noticed, shimmering, almost ethereal in nature. It's a culmination of things, and it's regarded as beauty, and it is respected. Captain of Thunderbolt, as he'll come to the side of the ship, hopefully after a time has passed, I'm aware you are experienced. I'm aware that you have had a taste for many things. I believe, if you would allow it, I could give you an experience that you have not had before. Well, I'm always up for new things. He'll gesture another outstretched hand, as if to gesture to come closer and hold on. Cerise steps closer, wraps one arm around his middle and places one hand on his shoulder. Are you ready? Yes. Fishman will then just fall backwards off the deck of the ship into the ocean. The spell cast earlier was a ritual casting of water breathing. And as they fall, before hitting the surface of the water, he'll lean in for a kiss. And Cerise will reciprocate and at this point will wrap both arms around his neck. As they fall into the water with a splash <laughs> and are not seen for quite a while afterwards. So, 
dalliances and drunkenness. Anyone staying on the Polaris this past evening are greeted by a messenger where the dock meets the ship. Neris would have gotten up fairly early because there's things to think about. The messenger is a young Aracocra fellow, brown and yellow plumage. And as you approach him, he says, Acting Captain Nero Solidanti. That is my title, yes. I have a message of the verdict determined for assets and contracts of the heads of the Hydra. Perfect. It has been decided that the assets are to be liquidated and anyone currently in the employ to be paid a redundancy so that they may find their own work where they take it. There are bureaucrats at the uh, headquarters to determine the particulars in the short and long term. Thank you for this information. Do you wish for us to wait in port? Uh, Yes, it would be greatly appreciated if any ships of the Polaris were to remain in port until further notice. I will inform the rest of the crew. Thank you for your service. Thank you, sir. And he departs. Neris will take a little moment. For anyone on deck, he's just sort of staring at this Aracocra as they leave. There was no, like, written word to accompany that, was it? It was just a delivered... Uh, yeah, just just a delivered message. Yeah, then I guess he will call a staff meeting after a brief moment of time to relay that to the crew. The crew response is mixed, to say the least. There are some who are worried about what this change may bring, others who are excited for opportunity. Some who are like, oh, I might be able to get a bit of a longer break before I have to get back to it. But yes, it's it's a very strange atmosphere on the Polaris. Neris, as he's finishing this, is going to finish his statement with, Now, I understand you are all experiencing a moment of uncertainty. The Polaris and the Hydra have been employers to you for some time. And I understand there's a potential need to find extra employment in the event that you do need to leave, it has been requested that the Polaris remained docked. But that does not, in my mind, extend to you. Should you need to leave as acting captain, I will honor any redundancy that you are paid, and I will seek you out and ensure that you are paid in full, regardless of whether you stay here or go. Thank you all for your service. When Neris has finished speaking, Tibble step forward and he'd be like, apologies, just before everyone goes, I would like to announce my retirement from sailing. I would like you all to know that you will always have a place where you need it. And while the Polaris may have been a home to many of you, that home extends beyond this ship. It's been really an honor to serve you all. Fishman will probably say, your experience is valued. You are valued. And I hope you never forget us. I hope you never forget this journey. You see a mixture of things pass over Tibble's face. You see a sorrow. You see a longing. And I think more than anything, you recognise you're aware of this feeling. You've lost something before. You've lost your memories. You don't know who you are. And you see that pass over Tibble's face. And Tibble looks both mournful and a little guilty. 
but his eyes do glance over to Neris. He's like, I hope the future is kind to you all. Uh, very quickly, while this sort of hubbub is happening, Janice just whistles and probably some of like his closest, uh, like Flora, would probably eventually make their way over to him. I will be going away for a little while, but I will return to Angathair. I have many plans and many things to do. I will reveal these things in time, if you are interested, if you are in need of work. I do not know how long the Polaris will be moored here, what will happen out of this, but... I am loyal to my crew, and I am loyal to those who return their loyalty to me. You have been a very good deck crew, and I will ensure that that does not go to waste. Uh, so I think Elton would have been kind of mingling lightly amongst the crew, probably just mostly kind of keeping an ear out for what everyone's plans are, what everyone's thinking about this news. And I would like him to approach Sia. You know what? Mm. I've been waiting for this day for a very long time. Congratulations, we're no longer going to have to work together. I think dreams will come to you. I think you will miss working with me. Is that a threat? You've not encountered many of my race, have you? Would he have? So dream touched. Could you roll me either a religion or arcana check? 16. You probably wouldn't have encountered them. Known to some as Kalashtar, the Dream Touched are often conflated with other planar confluxes, though there is debate as to whether they are actually plane touched or simply touched by some other form of magic. Uh, not as far as I know, you're pretty rare, I hear. I don't choose a dream. I am. And the dream is everything. She has this wistful sort of smile. I feel dreams everywhere. Yours are intriguing. I think you could have liked me. But now the dream has ended. It's time to wake up, Alton. And she just walks away from him. She does not say anything else. She just walks away. So Alton will just kind of ponder on this for a moment and then he's just going to go about the deck, start like clearing up the medic's office. Cool. So I guess at a certain point while Alton is packing his things away, he hears a knock on the door. Come in. No one's gotten yourself injured, have you? No, no, that's not um, more than usual. Oh, Tibble, I was, uh, I was just going to go find you. One last check over before sure. Jim kind of shuffles in and he shuts the door. Probably would be good to give you a check over, but there is something that I've realised I've neglected to do with you, not only as a medic, but, well, as someone who's also gone through a life-altering injury. How are you doing emotionally about all that? It's very odd feeling now knowing that not only am I not captain, but I am also not obligated to... No, it's been shite. It's not (laughs) been good. I'm sure you can understand. It's a big change. Not only to come to terms with feeling different, having different capabilities, but suddenly the whole future ahead of you seems different. I don't like that people treat me different. 
Mm-hmm. But I understand that they do, and that I need to rest, and that I need to be careful, and that I need to change. I don't particularly like being treated like I'm made of glass. That's one of the hard parts. I mean, there's a lot of hard parts, but everyone either treating you like you're something to be pitied, or you're lying, or just being super uncomfortable around you all the time because... Gods forbid anyone brings up health or anything like that. Most of the time, people just don't want to deal with that kind of stuff. At least you were labeling me to be a cook. Still a change, it's still uncomfortable. I don't like that it's part of having to leave, but given the rest of having to leave, maybe it's a good thing to have something to lean on. Luton, you've done an incredible job of caring for me and of being a very good medic. Of course, I'm the best. It's been genuinely a delight to see you open up in your own strange and somewhat unsettling sometimes way. He does his big shark tooth grin. No, um, to be honest, you were very confusing to begin with. I couldn't tell if this was just a whole naive act going on. But you seem like a genuinely good person. Do you think you're a good person? Uh, I'm probably not the best person to ask on that one. Because I do. (laughs) I think that of many people who others may not think deserve it. When you go out into the world and you see the different ways that people are, there have been some people who have been the most people-pleasing, friendly sons of bitches, and they are some of the worst people I've ever met. And they'll have a perfect record of kindness, no criminal record, no secrets, But then it's in the way they treat people. You showed me kindness in going above and beyond on your work, looking after me. And I don't even know if you realize that that came from a place of kindness within you. He does not. He would not agree with your words there entirely. You don't have to believe me, lad, because I know the things I know. And I get to make the choice every day to believe that people are good and to see the kindness in the things they do. And Alton, you may not believe it, but you are a kind boy. You would not be on this crew otherwise. You do have a very kind word for you, don't you? Although one thing I would say is, please stop calling me boy. I am 262. Right, you're young you're so young looking. Apologies. Or can I use a moment of elder wisdom to impart some of my experiences onto you? All right, old man. Go for it. <laughs> so, just my thoughts over the years, that when people treat you like shit for being ill all the time, it's actually their own fear of becoming ill themselves that is coming through it. They want to believe that they can control their health. So they believe that you must also be able to control your own health. So therefore, they think that either you must be faking it or you must have done something wrong to come that way. And then Alton is going to keep talking about experiences of chronic illness, essentially, including like being like, so I just stopped giving a shit about what other people think about me because half of them are shitty anyway and they're stupid. So just ignore it. I don't think that's going to be an issue. It is still going to shit me when they treat me like a kid. And that's oh good. You've got a fine because I'm used to that because of the height thing. So it's... Well, you can tell them to fuck off. Uh, that's my permission from my experiences. Probably at some point, Fishman will provide a letter addressed to Kara and Tibble. 
I see that you are struggling with the situation and you are struggling to find the words. No one blames you for what has happened and you should not blame yourself. Your circumstances alone have been one of the hardest things I have come to witness. And yet you still stood up. You had a voice. And Kara, always helping out the crew to the very best. And whilst it seemed that this might not be the life that they wanted, all they cared about was to be with you, Tibble. You've led your life for quite some time now. And I hope that this next step, Kara gets an opportunity to lead a life that she wishes to have with you, without any danger, without any peril. You two should enjoy your time together. We will be fine. I think um, Fishman will receive a response one day, but not now. Tibble likely would have read that on the road with Kara once they'd officially left. Not long after the crew meeting, Tibble will go to find Nerus. Nerus is in his quarters writing letters. And when Tibble eventually finds Nerus, um, he will push a stack of finished letters off to the side and Tibble can see at the top of it the names of a couple of the crew members. There would be one with Nizen written up the top, there would be one Florette at the top. There is also another one with Sia written at the top and he will push those aside and shuffle them all together. Lad is just knocking on the doorframe. It's now a bad time. It is not. Please come in. Tibble shuffles his way in. Now that he's not in the wheelchair and after the fight that happened, he's probably actually now walking with a cane. And he doesn't need the assistance walking per se. It seems to be more that he runs out of stamina very quickly. So it gives him something to lean on. I, um, I wanted to have a chat. It suits you. There is always time for conversation with you. Please, take a seat. Letters? Well, seeing as the Hydra are disbanding, I assume most of the crew will want to find opportunities elsewhere. You are also finding more opportunities, so I have decided to take it upon myself so as not to burden you with writing individual letters of recommendation for wherever they wish to go. Lad, I don't know where to start. <laughs> I don't know what to start with. Do you wish for me to start? Where would you start? I would ask you if you believe the decisions that you have made this morning will make you happy. Now that scene there is a complex and complicated question with a complex and complicated answer. And if Tibble didn't shut the door on his way in, he gets up and he goes and shuts the door and then sits back down. You have helped me find where to start, so thank you for that. I'm leaving for a number of reasons, Neris. Hopefully some of them I will find happiness in. I... I'm never going to be the same as I was before the injury. I cannot provide the same level of safety 
and comfort and ability to anyone in my life. And that's difficult for me, but it is something that I have to learn to live with. Second reason, I am captain because I know how difficult it is dealing with the people who hand out the pays. And I know how cruel people can be. We were lucky with the Hydra, but there's always going to be people that make it a barrier for certain kinds of people anymore. I can't act as that barrier anymore, but I am not a good captain, Neris, and I never really wanted to be. Kara needed somewhere safe, and so did so many other people. They deserved someone safe, if a bit incompetent, to report to. With the Hydra gone, I'm not their best choice for captain. And I guess the third reason, Neris, is that I care about you deeply. I trust you irrationally. And I refuse to compromise on that. It's me caring about you and believing in you in the ways that I do turns out to be a mistake. That should be my mistake to make. And I do not want the pressure of a superior showing any form of devotion to sway the decisions of the crew. And I mean that in the kindest way possible. I trust you, but I don't trust myself. I'm not always known for making the right decisions. But I think you are one, nurse. I truly, truly believe that the person who is in front of me right now, the person who I've sailed with for years, the young boy who joined me on this ship and who I would spend nights coaxing trying to get to relax and to rest and to spend at least a moment not afraid. I truly believe that that person won't become what we saw. It's a truth that I feel like I know. And maybe, maybe that just makes me stupid, but it's my stupidity. And they all deserve to have their choice. But I choose you, theirs, always. So will it make me happy? No. I love this crew. And I like being safely for people who need it. But I can't be that anymore. And that will make me endlessly sad. But that's okay. Because sometimes the right choice isn't the happy one. There is a look that has been on Naris's face since maybe the first third of that conversation. A look that says he wants to say something. Wants to say many things. When he opens his mouth, the only thing that comes out is, Thank you. You will be sorely missed. Tara wanted you to know. She is sorry. She's sorry because she is afraid. You know what I'm like. I did tell her everything that happened. She deserved to know. She cried an awful lot last night, not only over Rue, but because she couldn't help how she felt towards you. She 
loves you dearly, lad, but she is afraid. And she wanted me to let you know that you are always going to be loved by her, but she can't see you right now. I hope you can understand that. I think I do. I wish the two of you all the best in your future endeavors. I'm sure everything you set out to achieve will be achieved, and you will find everything that you are searching for. I know things are difficult right now, and I know a lot is happening. But if you can do me one favor as a parting captain or as a parting friend, please try to be kind to yourself for me. And the second thing, if the future comes to pass in the way that we hope that it doesn't, before you go to Rue, before the things that happened yesterday happened, I need you to find me, and I need you to let me give you that order. The last order I will ever give you. Maybe the last burden that I will ever take from you, because I made a promise, and I keep my promises. In light of that, I would like to inform you that the future is changing. You can rest assured that I will not come to visit you. Tibor pushes himself to his fate. Neris Solidanti. Thank you. Tibor hobbles his way out. Meanwhile, over on the Red Phoenix, Lorraine, you would have noticed your captain was conspicuously absent last night. And oh, is she a little bitch about it today? I did roll, because I was like, on a scale of 1 to 20, how pissy is Lorraine going to be on this day? And I did roll a natural 20. So... (laughs) She has barely slept. She has been complaining to anyone who will listen as she's just walking around just being like, you know, I know we've been through a lot together, but I just don't know how the the captain can like trust any members of the Polaris. How can she trust that he's like not just going to like bite her fingers off? He could very easily bite a finger off. And how even would they kiss actually? His mouth is like this long. I don't, it doesn't make sense. She's just doing that all day. Cerise would return to the ship as she always returns when she's been off. She just swaggers back on deck, hat and jacket in hand, shirt half unbuttoned. And you know, it just, it'll be just like her to maybe swagger on the ship right now and just act as if nothing had happened. Good morning, Captain. Good morning. How was the meeting? It went swimmingly. (laughs) Oh, because he's a bright... You don't want to know. I don't. And Loren kind of looks very sheepish. She kind of jogs over to Cerise, Eirik flying overhead. What's um, the plan now, then? For now, we wait for the next step. From... And she kind of gestures at her head. And that's all we do now. We do what we normally do. And then put it on pause. Yes. Right. Right. I know it doesn't sit right with you. It doesn't. But it is what will be happening. Right. No, I am... After the last few weeks, that's what I've figured will be the case. Hence why there's a letter of resignation in your office. I thought as much... 
I don't suppose there's anything that would make you stay. <laughs> when you found me in a gutter ten years ago, our paths aligned, or at least were parallel. They've deviated. So, unless you're, or I, are intending on changing paths, there's nowhere else to go. It's a beauty. You're a very good navigator. <laughs> Try not to get lost without me. I will take you to where you want to go. That is much appreciated, Captain, but I'm already where I'm going. And as Loren just kind of stands there awkwardly, fingers flexing, she just very quietly reaches up and it's in the official art, but I don't know if I've mentioned it, she wears a purple armband that you would all know matches the flag of the Red Phoenix. And she takes it off and she holds it out to Cerise. Cerise takes it. Take as long as you need to clear your things out. And then she would stalk off towards her cabin. Right. That went better than expected. She kind of scrubs her eyes a bit. Come on, buddy. We have a couple people to talk to. And she walks off the ship to where her packed bags are already hidden behind some rocks. Meanwhile, what else are people doing? Fishman's probably waking up, emerging from his quarters, like the little gremlin he is. Of course. And who would he be seeking out? Neris is high on his list. Would he be in his quarters, or...? He probably would be in his quarters. He's currently conducting his own little bit of research on a very old book that he found, which he'll shut as Fishman enters. Hard at work, as always, I see. So there's always more work to be done. Yet I've never seen you work on rest. Well, priorities, you know. To what do I always a pleasure? I thought this would be a good time to check in. We haven't spoke one-to-one for quite some time, and last time you offered some help, reaching out to compatriots, acquaintances, that might know a thing or two of me and my people. Indeed I did. I sent off some questions to some historians. I myself know very little about your situation. Mr. DM, has any of that search revealed any fruit? The search for the origin of the fishman. There are no big battles in history that seem to line up with what you have been told from the fishman. You are aware of the elemental planes, some of them more closely intertwined with the material, uh, almost as closely entwined as the Fey, Shadow, and Border Ethereal planes. The plane of water is often described as one of endless ocean and these close by planes there are often breaches into the prime material where it is possible for beings to cross over between the planes without the aid of the powerful magic that would usually be required to facilitate it it often is a surprise to those who who cross over in this way Though it is repeatable, once you discover a breach between planes, you can cross over as you please. You do have recollections of creatures in the past crossing over from one plane to another. It does seem likely to you that the Fishman is a being 
entwined with the elemental plane of water in some way, and that through some method he has likely found his way through a breach between the planes. And somewhere, either before, during, or after that breach, there has been some sort of modification to his mind that is creating some sort of block. And maybe this blockage is wearing thin. Maybe this blockage is breaking. Excellent. You have mentioned that you feel a stranger to these lands. You feel like something isn't right. It is a daily occurrence. It is early days, but I believe you may be correct. You are at home in the water. More so than when you are on land. Yes? This is correct. It's my abilities, my style of fighting, my magics are best suited for underwater. In my research, I did not limit myself to this plane. A lot of focus was placed on the plane of water, an endless ocean. And none of this can be proven yet. But I believe that is your true home. Or at least it was. And you have somehow managed to find yourself a door. Open it and come on through to this side. Whilst it has been a suspicion, I am familiar with languages from the plane of water. I have no recollection of it. And as to whether or not I came through a portal, as you say, I'm not sure of that either. I've known these lands and nothing else. I am familiar with the planar, but perhaps that is what has clouded me. You find your memories to be blocked somehow. As if you feel like there is more there, but you cannot see it. Fishman will lean back, as if very carefully choosing his next couple of words. There is definitely something. I'm not sure what it is, whether it is magical, whether it is bodily. I have tried searching for similar symptoms, but have found none as severe as mine. Whilst I haven't been lying, per se... I haven't necessarily told the truth. And with things turning out for the way they are, with the powers that we are going up against, and with the circumstances of these visions that I've been having, I believe not being particularly open might become a hindrance in the near future. Perhaps it's best I show you. Would you mind going for a walk? Of course. And Nerys will stand up from the desk and as he does so his right hand goes into his satchel and replaces the crystal orb that he was holding on his lap back in his satchel Neris might even notice that Fishman was looking at his hand as well almost as if expecting something Fishman takes Neris to his quarters and at the door he'll say It is well known that I am not an early riser. Yes? It is. The crew does not disturb me early of a morning, yes? Their faith in me and their trust has been greatly appreciated. But I put great thought and caution in my situation. And he'll gesture for Neris to open his door. Which, if he does, something will. will stop him from opening the door just as he's about to touch the handle. If he reaches for the handle, a mouth will form on the door, 
and Fishman's voice will come out of it. Please leave me alone. It is well known that I do not rise early. If it is urgent, please find Nizen. A ward of some description. A cautionary measure that I put in place after. A conversation I had with Captain Thunderbolt. For I always trusted my crew, but those not a part of the crew might not be aware of the situation. And just as Fishman finishes that sentence, the mouth reappears on the door as another trigger is met, as the mouth then states, I am very serious, in almost like a threatening tone. It says, if this is life or death, state my phrase, otherwise leave now. And then Fishman will kind of, not smirking like I am right now, but He'll just lean back, curious to see how Neris reacts to this, almost as if this is a bit of a test. Neris, I think, will give a large grin, probably a split second quicker than I did, as he realises what this means and the note that was given to Neris a little while ago. Very clever. A precautionary measure, and you might see why if you go inside. May I? He gestures for you to open the doors. Then Neris will look at the door, and assuming the magic is still active, will say the phrase, Honey breath. As he opens it, I'm sure the mood would likely drop, because inside of Fishman's room, his quarters, it's not a very friendly sight. It's very barren. There's not much in his quarters at all, apart from bedding, a desk, and writing materials. And those are the only things that are actually neat and organized. Inside of the room, you'll find a lot of damage to his walls, to the floor, scratches, dents, cracks, all of which you would deduce are naturally incurring. And you would probably put together that Fishman is probably the one to do these. The claw marks would resemble what his claws look like. You'll see words written all over the walls, notes, You'll see your name in a couple of them. You'll see every single member of the crew's names along the walls with information about them. You'll see lots of notes saying, read the book, read the book, read the book. You are safe, read the book. But probably the most noticeable thing you'll notice is directly above his bedding, scratched into the ceiling time and time again, is the word Hond Ibrath, safe, trust, friends. And Fishman will wait for Neris to turn around before speaking again. Neris will take all of this in, try and piece together what it means. He's got a couple of theories in his head, but I don't know what he believes. And he will turn back and look at Fishman. When I mentioned that me being not of this land, not being familiar of it, being a daily occurrence, I was not exaggerating. I wake every morning not knowing who I am. I wake every morning in a world that I do not know, alone. I have found a way of my many years of travel to safely keep this secret. And I have found that this secret puts most people in danger. Most run away, most leave me. The Polaris has been a haven and I needed time to come to this decision. I don't believe I am ready yet, but circumstances deem that at least some should know. I spend my time every morning 
reading through my book to find out who I am, where I am, and who you are. And he'll probably outreach his book, which you have often seen him take notes in when anything significant happens during any conversation that you would have with Fishman. And if you flick to a couple of pages, you can probably find information on any member of the crew. This is my ailment, and I have lived with it. I have not let it control me, but if you have any idea on how to fix this so I could leave this behind me, I would greatly appreciate it. And I would owe you so much. But I'm not asking for that. It is simply a wish and nothing more. Fishman will probably gesture him to go inside and then close the door behind them. Nurse will do so. The burdens that you carry every day is a heavy one. I, I am practicing some level of magic regarding control of your memories. So far, I'm only able to return but a few days in the past. Fishman, as you said that, his eyes would have lit up because that's not what he was expecting you to say when you've been practicing certain magics. That's not what he expected you to say at all. I do not know if it will work on anyone else. I, I do not know the effect it will have. It is new magic, unproven magic. I am no stranger to dangerous and unfamiliar magic. As he gestures towards his tattoo or mark, I practice some sickly magic as well. And this memory magic, if it has any hope of success, provides me with any progress. I do not care for the consequences. I feel like I've reached the end, and yet I've done nothing. I do not understand how you feel, but I do feel it is important to not It is always important to care for the consequences of magic, especially when you do not know what they are. As it has become quite apparent, as he looks towards your hand. Neris balls his left hand into a fist and slowly brings it behind his back. I did overhear. I am aware. And I do not judge. I've seen your magic. I've seen that it is awfully familiar with our foe that we faced. The Wilt magic. I also have dabbled in necromagic. I'm familiar with it. And your secret is safe with me if you wish it to be. But I'm running out of options. Our encounter with the Aboleth, if you remember. It recalled me, and then before I got to say anything, it was gone. The Dragon Turtle, as you may remember, recognized me. And whilst I did get quite a fair bit of information from him, the battle was over and I have not seen him since. I have found no portals. Captain Thunderbolt showed promise and definitely ways to help me with my goals. But it seems that they are going on a path that I do not wish to follow. Captain Thunderbolt is misguided. Regardless, capable, achieves results. I'm running out of options. I find with every single day, I get further and further away from my goal of finding out who I am, returning to wherever I am from. I've given up on most things, but I'm left with one, one thing that I want. And I've made this abundantly clear with Captain Tibble, that I'm only aboard the Polaris to achieve my goals. And the Polaris has treated me well, so I give them sentimental value, but ultimately I will not give up on my goal. 
No, I will not willingly turn to dark magics. But if it is my only option, then I see no other way. And so I say to you again, I do not care what this mind magic does. If it offers me any kind of way to find out who I am, he'll probably get on his knees now and say, please, Neris, anything you can do, just do it. Neris is in higher demeanor shifts darker I think as if halfway through that conversation he made up his mind on what he wanted to do and he hated himself for it he wished to find a gate into the plane of water I wish to find out who I am and if that lies on the other side of a gate through to the water plane then so be it I understand that you are troubled with what has happened and what can be, and I understand that this is probably absolutely detrimental to any resolution you have come to. But I am out of options. Magic is ever-reaching. It is chaos. It is control. It is everywhere. It is controlled by wizards, it is utilized by sorcerers, it is manipulated by the gods. Magic comes in every form, and it is in every form that we must search for information. Fishman will hold up a hand. I have been denied by every god I have turned to. Then you're not pushing hard enough. And Neris will reach into his satchel and pull out a object that is wrapped in this cloth. And hating himself for this, he's going to very slowly unwrap the present that he bought at the small underwater village just before we entered the temple. He is going to unwrap the obsidian amulet to Shognesh. He's going to hold that in his hand and scatter these gold pieces on top of it as he raises it up and in his right hand almost unbidden is his crystalline orb um, which he's holding from the top. It's almost magnetized to his hand and Neris is going to attempt to cast divination to force an answer from a god that he does not owe allegiance to. Okay. So, what question do you ask? To they who control the waves, it seems fitting that all the pieces would fall into place here. And the question that Neris asks this god, to where can we find the closest portal to the plane of water? And your mind is immediately filled with an image of a secluded underwater spot. It is dark. It is deep. Much deeper than most folk would be able to survive. Judging from the presence around, any humanoid who ventured down this far would likely be severely damaged, if not killed, from the amount of pressure, unless there was some sort of aid or intervention. You would probably be able to spend a little bit of time consulting maps and records, work out where it is. 
so for Fishman, the question that was asked was out loud, but it was in a guttural primordial that I'm not even sure Neris was aware that he was doing. And there's a period where Neris's head is tilted off to the right. He's almost contorted in pain as the reply is given. And suddenly his eyes snap open, his head straightens. It appears we need to make something. I owe you, Daris. Name anything and I will get it done. Thank you. I have an idea on how we can both get what we want, in a manner of speaking. What did you have in mind? How much does Neris know about the Sin Seekers ship? So you recall in your early days of arcane study coming across two concepts. One is extra dimensional spaces. Those have since become reasonably commonplace, um, at least temporary ones. Extra dimensional spaces are reasonably well covered in arcane study. However, the other thing that comes to mind is an element that in your mind is theory only. The idea of a spell jammer, a vessel capable of traversing almost any environment. You don't know much about them other than that most theories posit the need of arcane focal point to traverse through the spaces that it needs to go in, requiring powerful magic and something to focus that magic through and into the ship. But it's just theory at this point. However, it does occur to you that the Sin Seekers were working with someone from the future. I have a feeling that we have not just the need, but the potential to make something truly exquisite. That will get you what you want, and so much more. Ishman will probably give a toothy grin. If I can help in any way, just let me know. You'll need to. And Neris is deep in thought. Alright. And I believe Janice, you had some stuff you wanted to cover. Um, so Janice finishes taking inventory of weaponry with Florit. He does speak at length with a lot of the deck crew that he was very close with. Janice then sort of like eyes the storm while all these like personal conversations are happening while there are people in the Polaris leaving with potential hope for the future, leaving with disappointment, leaving with perhaps a degree of bitterness about the circumstances, fear for what might happen. Janice walks in between all of them completely neatly and stops by a couple of shops. He picks up some apples. He has them wound tightly in wax paper and he stops by a little shop that has some little wooden carvings and he exchanges a little bit of coin for some little waxed figures, puts them in another little side pouch that he has sort of built into his armour. From a cart with a curtain or a shawl kind of draped across it, you hear... Hey there, big man, as she just appears from underneath this little shawl right next to you. Loren. What are you doing wandering the city? Collecting supplies. Oh, you're a runaway. (laughs) Runaway implies I don't intend to come back. I have loyalty to uphold. Ominous? That's just my voice. I just sound like that. I sound ominous. I mean, it is ominous. I can appreciate it, Janice. It's just, you know, paired with, you know, you're very big. I'm a dangerous man. It comes with the territory. Oh, well, anything's dangerous if it wants to be. Geese Mm. can be dangerous. 
These are very dangerous. Have you been bitten by one before? No, because I'm not stupid. Oh, well, yes, neither have I. What are you packing up for? Supplies for the Red Phoenix? Well, let's just say you're, um, you're not the only ex-pirate in the group now. Why the change? He does lean in closer for sort of glint to his eyes. I am loyal to Cerise. I am loyal to the Red Phoenix. But, you know, a day and a half ago, I turned into a literal fairy tale monster. So I don't think I can be around people. So you were sent packing then? I resigned. A rare thing to see a pirate resign from their life. Aye, most of us die. But I guess that just means you and I are built different, literally. And she kind of gestures between both of them, but Janice would sort of realize she is pointing specifically at his pointed teeth and the fact that she has elongated canines now that haven't seemed to shrink back. Must have been I've only ever seen the tail end of a siren. It is interesting to meet one in the flesh. They're not particularly good dinner mates. So you're here wallowing in self-pity then, is that what you're doing? Mourning the loss of your wonderful captain with her very large hat. She is going to do just fine without me. I hardly believe so. You're one of the famed navigators of the seas, after all. What? Besides, and he doesn't poke her, but just sort of like nudges her. Ease up. I'm not throwing stones when it comes to ill-advised softness where it should not be assigned. Hopefully this is easier for you. <laughs> just who are you soft on, married man? And she does kind of like try and elbow him back. It probably feels like a feather brushing against his arm. Well, I do have a wife and five soon-to-be-six wonderful children that I do need to get back to, but that is never ill-advised. Regardless, that is a pity. I hope you find a good path for you then. Well, actually, that's sort of where I was in town. I was gathering a couple supplies so I could go off for a bit, and then I was hoping to actually find you. And here you are. Why me? Shouldn't you be finding one of your friends? Are we not friends? You are my sister of the sea, after all. And you are my brother of the storm, so who else would I trust? I do have a short schedule today, I'm afraid. I was wondering, you keep mentioning your five, nearly six children. How far off is your wife? Not long. But I was wondering, have your kids ever um, wanted any pets? Are you volunteering? I don't think they'd be particularly... They do tend to bite no, quite a lot. So I'm not a fan of that. I meant Irik. And she kind of points at the little snoozing dragon around her shoulder. You're looking to get rid of your dragon? Not get rid of. Never get rid of the little guy. And even if I could get rid of him, he would not get rid of me. The little thing thinks he owes me a life debt. And why would you wish to? Like I said, I need to go away for a while. Some of that, I'm going to be underwater. Reconnecting with your roots. Finding some form of pity in the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) There is no pity at the bottom of the ocean. There is only me father. Oh, no, that's understandable. Yes. Try to, of course. My siblings are all younger, so I can understand kids enjoy animals. They enjoy them more when they're fun. So I was thinking if I can't bring Eirik with me, he might as well go somewhere where he will be looked after. That is a kind gesture. Unfortunately, my children will have to be moving very soon. But perhaps a pet would soothe them. A kind offer. I'm a very kind lady. She pulls another face. She wants very much to be vulnerable, but she feels as if too much of her life is known by strangers now. Her mouth kind of ticks a bit in the corner. I would be visiting him, you know, again. He feels like he owes me a life debt, so I have to be around. Would that be all right? Now we reach the pit of it. 
You're interested in visiting my family? You specifically, but I'm sure your kids are just as lovely as you taught them up to be, and I'm sure your wife is very intimidating and scary. Oh, she is. Lightning on the horizon. As a friend, then, is that what you seek? I could use some. I just left all the ones I had in the world on a ship. It seems to size her up. Well, luckily for you, I could too. I will make sure that my children do not bite up your precious pet too much. And in return, I'll make sure Eirik doesn't bite them back. <laughs> well, that's the fun thing. You see, sharks, we have thick skin. And Eirik's got pointy teeth. I do worry about that. But, you know. We can always learn not to bite so hard. We really can. No word of it to our mutual friend, though, obviously. He couldn't pry it out of me if he tried. That I do believe. She nods and walks off, lost in the crowd again. Meanwhile, back in Ankathir, Alton. So Alton spent quite some time talking with Tibble, and this lifted his mood to quite an extent. But after he bid his goodbyes, he uh, returned to his cabin to start packing that one up as well. And after a little bit of packing, Rat comes out from a little hole in the wall and kind of scurries up to his feet and nips at his boot. Hey there. Sorry, I haven't given you any treats in a little bit. Yeah, well, you're pretty resourceful. Been getting some from the kitchen, I imagine. And he will kind of keep chatting along to Rat while he's sorting things out and putting them in the bag. And then he'll see in the bag some sheets of paper that he'd spent a considerable amount of last night writing on. So stressed, just trying to organize his thoughts, figure out, okay, what has been happening? What on earth is up with that time travel stuff? What are his best plans of action? Trying to write pros and cons. There's all this scribbled, scratchy writing. And after a moment, he'll uh, sit down on the bed and uh, look back over to Rat, who kind of scuttles up the leg of the bed to sit beside him. What do you think, Rat? What do you make of all this? You know, uh, the... Pythagoras here has treated you well. Do you think you're ready to move on? Come along with me to wherever we're going next. Do you understand any of that time travel stuff? Because really, I think you've got a better chance of that than me. Is everything predestined? No matter what we do, it's always going to end the same. Or can we have some kind of influence on it? But then I mean that future Daenerys. He seems to know everything that's going on. Little concerning. You know, I meant to have a chat with the heads of the Hydra before we got there. Do a bit of research on why they pardoned me. And I don't have much to base this on now, but now I'm kind of wondering, was that other Daenerys involved? He never had me killed or anything, although they tried. He was involved with the heads of the Hydra. And also, what if I was involved in getting Rue killed? His hands kind of like tense up and fall limp. I saw the mark of her on Rue, and then it wasn't much longer and they were killed. What if Nerus knows of my connection to Aras? And I'm involved in getting Rue killed. What if he needs me in something? There's there's no way of knowing this. <laughs> what do I do? Do I run away? Do I help Janice in taking down this weird, all-knowing future captain of our house? <laughs> I've written down this list many times of what to do about this situation. The only options I really have 
are to keep running from her, to submit to what she wants, or try to become worthy. That's never really worked. So what do you think? Any suggestions? Guess I'll just keep going day by day, taking everything slow and careful. That's always what I've been doing. Maybe I'll try to look into things. I know it's her for certain now. Maybe I can try it and learn a little more. In the meantime, let's get ready in case we need to leave again. You can stay here or, or you can come with me if you like. I'll, I'll get you the treats that you like. You know, little trip. What do you think? There's a squeak of agreement. Excellent. And then Alison will continue packing up his room. So after he parts with Florin, probably at about the same sort of point in time, Florit would approach Neres, pass on a little note, which is addressed from Janice. All it says is, sunset, doc, come speak. Neris will ponder that for a while, and come sunset, he will go to the docks. Janice is sort of standing at the, the furthest pier that stretches out onto the Bay of Uncathir, waves whipping up around an invisible storm centred around this juggernaut of a man. He's not hard to spot. The whole time he's been making preparations, he's been taking long, measured steps. Everywhere has been going with the same pace. Even when he's been walking out to the deck along the pier, he might shift one side or another to avoid any casual lazy fishermen. Apart from a little more debris, life for them is almost back to normal when, but a day ago, multiple storms tore through Ankathir, one but a burst from a siren. But everything appears normal to them, and while Janice marches to the end of the pier and then waits there, wings almost shading him in this gloomy light, nothing will ever be normal again. Nurse will make his way down the pier taking his time, but not necessarily feeling relaxed. And he stops a respectable distance away. Janice. Janice turns, again framed by this strange sort of lighting, but you can see the piercing intensity of of his glowing eyes as he turns. You came. It's such a beautiful night. He almost looks bone-tired for this shaking moment. In that moment, the sun's rays break through the cloud cover, just this tiny moment, this temporary burst of warmth that lints over the waves and across that stretch of the pier. It really is, isn't it? You had just been promoted to quartermaster when I was employed aboard the Polaris. Do you remember that? How could I forget? Younger than me by five years and already my senior. He turns and very slowly paces towards him. Which made sense, you've been with the Polaris since its inception. And at the time, I thought yourself and Tibble worked well together. I suggested the two of us get a drink together when I arrived. Do you remember that? I do. And then I was third in command for five years, and I got along with the captain swimmingly, but more than an arm's length between us always. I thought that was just me, and I did not press where I might not needed, not wanted. And then quickly became clear among the crew that the quartermaster just doesn't people, perhaps doesn't care. At least that's what they said. It is an unfortunate assumption for people to have of me, but it It is is. the impression I gave off. Perhaps it is easy not to choose to show it, or it feels unnecessary. Perhaps easy not to feel it. I do not assume to make home in your reasons. I do not wish to make your choices for you in your head or how you hold your heart. We have been strangers on board a ship together for five years. You only chose to know me when I returned. Still at arm's length. 
And what good does all of that do when you become leader of the Sin Seekers? He's standing in front of him, tall, looming, just intense. The future holds many secrets. It is an opportunity for change. And I am not here to be your absolution, nor your retribution. I assume you are making no plans because you're afraid anything that is said, anything that will happen will be seen by your doppelganger. This assumes you are already treading the same path. This assumes you have not already changed the future. This I cannot try with the life of my family in your hands. You understand that? I do. What is your intention? Because I intend to come back. I want to know what I'm coming back to. I intend to rid the world of the danger that I pose. I do not know where Lation has gone. I do not believe I could even track him. We were talking last night, yesterday, about a plane of nothing, and I dismissed it as folly. What if it isn't? The wild space you were speaking of. What if Lation has found a way to travel there? It would be safe. There would be no one who could follow him, because nobody knows how to get there. Except for you. Except for me. His mouth curls into a grin. This is a very good place to start, then. I intend to create a vessel unheard of. Something that can answer many questions. This is all purely theoretical. I do not even know if such a thing can be done. There are many impossible ships, and you bend fate with your hands after all. And Neris will almost subconsciously lower his left hand out of the way. I will do what I can to prevent the disasters that I create. Good. There's no what the worst of it is. The worst damn thing is that in spite of it all, I still trust you. Time is running out. Time is always running out. Well then, Captain... I must admit a failing of my quality is that I am very restless when I am not in charge of something, which is probably not the best thing for someone who is perennially never a captain, who never requires the chance to captain a ship of his own. Are you looking for a second mate, then? I believe as soon as I procure a ship, I will definitely need a crew. That is a good start, I suppose. I do not know which way I am intending on going. It's because you need someone to study you. Perhaps you're right. Perhaps it's best not being alone. I'm going away for a while. You know why. You won't know where. Perhaps when I come back we should finally have that drink. What do you say? I think it will be well earned. And long Mm. overdue. He holds his hand out for Neros. Neros will reach out with his right and take it. And Janice uses his strength to pull him closer and then clasps his hand on his back into a hug. Neris physically cannot resist. And then he just holds him there for a couple of beats and then lets him go. Until then. Thanks, Janice. Neris. Neris is going to reach into one of his pockets, not in his satchel, on his actual coat that he wears, his overcoat, and will pull out a small stone that he kind of looks at flicks up in the air, catches it, and then we'll throw it to Janice. For you and your family. 
and it is one of the two Anim stones that was gifted to the Polaris from Acheron. It has the ability to heal and recover wounds and even bring someone back from the brink of death. What fair winds, what fair tides that Shognish brings for us both. I appreciate the gift. I am looking forward to our drink. Be prepared for it. And Janice very carefully pockets this stone and then loosens some buckles, cracks and shakes apart some splits in his armor. And then he turns his back to you and changes shape into a monster. So fast that the fishermen and the peer who would not have been able to overhear might look. They need to blink twice before panic sets in and Janice jumps off the pier and he swims and he swims and he swims. Maris will look out across the rolling waves. Such a beautiful night. And Janice swims home. Janice's home is a little out of Katathir. It's a fairly bustling island city, smaller than Ankathir, but breezy and more baked in sunlight. It's not far from Ankathir, ironically. It would still take a fair swim, even for a shark. The sun is shining, the land built up from the sea, so it is not a step, but a leap into the ocean. Just 35 steps from the ocean to the door of a bleached white wooden building. Rough in a way that is clear it has been built together with effort and love. She can scratch between the sand and the scrub, lines of washing stretch out from trees, a tall blonde boy with unnaturally pointed ears, a Maya's tending to them while a dark-haired girl less than a year younger than him lay sprawled under the tree of this new morning as the sun breaks, writing a story perhaps. Janice swells out of the water as three smaller sharks surge towards him as he approaches the bay, cutting through water savage. Janice turns sharply as his form shifts back, an angel of a man, some might say. Tall and broad as the sharks leap up and he catches them in his arms, as some shift, pointy-eared and toothed, an easy shift like a shape-changer rather than one that breaks and reshapes his bones. While the smallest remains a small shark, wriggling in excitement as he eagerly scoops them in his arms. Mikayla, Stacy, Bob! Uh, there's a throng of young aware sharklings that point. Daddy, Daddy, you're home! I know, I know. Sorry for the surprise visit. It's been too long, really, at the same time. My, you have all grown so much, as the two older siblings also run up to visit. I am sorry I did bring small gifts. And he reaches into his pocket and holds out those little waxed wooden toys that he had picked up before he ran into Loren. And he throws the parcel to Amias. Distributed. Choose which ones give you the most joy. We will be going on a big holiday soon to celebrate, I think, after I talk to your... And suddenly the door opens with force and Anna stands there. So Anna, is, this is the first time that the audience at least will see her. Anna is this tall woman who looks roughly the same age Janice is, uh, sort of slender but clearly fairly lithe and muscular. She's pale, she has the pointed ear tips of perhaps a half-elf, and she has dark, dark brown hair sort of braided down one side of her head, almost in sort of a Norse-type style, while the rest is in a longer, more aeolic, typical braid over her shoulder. Anna also has angular features, sort of these high cheekbones which look like they've sort of softened a bit over time and love. And she's wearing sort of this loose shift made from light spots materials, classic for the aisles, gathered from the back to tie in the front just under the base of her sternum. Because of this, there's also one last notable feature, I guess, from this quick description, which is that she has a very strange-looking deep green scar running down from her collarbone to presumably where her heart must be. And she is tense, and her eyes flash with energy, only matched by her husband. 
Janice, big of you to share your lying story spinning face here after your last letter. And Janice kind of turns with the three children in his arms, the others not far behind, and goes, Anna, as frightening as lightning in a bottle, my dearest love, the light of my life and the notch in every blade, the fiercest tempest I have ever come to love with all my heart. Enough, blowhard. Save your worshipping for later on. And Anna steps forward and draws Janice in by the chin for a kiss, which makes his whole body flutter. And then sort of almost simultaneously in Janice's arms, as again, he's still holding three of his children. Just cries of, ew! <laughs> and Janice sort of peals with laughter as he gently settles two of them down and handily throws Bob back into the ocean with the force that you can only do with a shark baby and not a human baby. And he turns in closer to Anna in this moment as he places a hand on her shoulder, winding a finger in her long braid as he does so, and he says, face growing dark. My love, we need to talk. Things are no longer safe. Meanwhile, on the Red Phoenix, Cerise. So we see Cerise's cabin looking much as it always has any time that we've seen it. It is meticulously clean, except for a smashed glass on the floor and a dagger embedded in the desk in some paper. Cerise herself is sitting, leaning back in her chair with her feet up on the desk nursing a glass of amber liquid. As she sits there and swirls it, she takes a sip. The air crackles with electricity as she gets a look of determination on her face. Tibble. So, um, a few days after the announcement of Tibble officially retiring from sailing life is the day that Tibble and Kara bid their farewell where we find Tibble, himself and Kara have stepped onto the docks. Kara's fur is wet with tear streaks. She's spent most of the morning hugging different crew members who she had grown so fond of and had grown so close to. For her, it was a very teary affair. Tibble himself was different. While he has seemed more upset about the news that he himself gave. This morning, instead of that underlying look of guilt or that underlying sorrow and grief of what he's giving up, Tibble looks relaxed. There's an ease about him and when saying his goodbyes to everyone on the crew, there's part of him that stays. The part of him that they first would have seen when each of them first joined the Polaris. Chibble spends his last morning making sure that the crew of the Polaris don't feel sad about them leaving. And he schools that to his very expression, making sure very carefully that any heartache, any sorrow, any guilt, any grief, any of the complex feelings don't show so that the people who he cares about most get to know that he's going with ease. And as the gulls core overhead and the last of the salty sea breeze hits them, Tibble clasps Kara's hand, brings it to his mouth to give it a kiss. Our next adventure awaits love. And together with their belongings, they head off into the land. And that is where we're going to leave this arc, this season, this episode. Five and Weirdos Fathomless. Join us next time as we launch into a new arc 
a little ways down the road because everyone deals with various affairs. Thank you for listening thus far. Also, it potentially means sex in your character art, so you don't want to <laughs> Lots of exciting things in for yes. season two. Thank you for joining yes. us. Remember to like and subscribe if you have not already. Please share on your favourite social media platform. Any kind of interaction it helps us reach a further audience and we really appreciate your support so far. Thank you so much. Yes. Please next tune week. in for season two. I'm already planning it. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Doodles. Ready to go. I hope so. I have two D20s out. <laughs> How could you do this to me, my love? Two D20s. I'm sorry. I'm no. sorry. I do have a whole box of Twinkies, though, so it's fine. <laughs> I'm prepared. Five, four, three, I have six sets in the two. D20. Goddamn.